This is Nuri Shahin, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. episode 167 of the yellow wall pod yes this is the last episode of 2016 and i'm once again joined by konstantin Eckner from spielverlagerung hello konstantin hello stefan and first question to you uh, who's coming to your house santa claus or the christkind uh, nobody i don't know wow i mean it's an all german podcast but i didn't assume it would be this little fun anyway also what, here what was the purpose, purpose of the question I, I don't know. I, I just just to, you, to you don't know, so you just ask something Christmas for no reason on, on this show. You're just bullshitting around here. All right. Hello, Lars Polman from Leto Report. How are you? Hi, Stefan. Pretty good. Cool. Uh, who's coming to your house, if any, Santa Claus or the Christkind? Seeing as I grew up with three elder siblings, uh, I was off the Santa hype very quickly. I'm afraid so. If anyone's coming, I guess it's just uh, the the guy who brings the, the Amazon packages or whatever. All right. And uh, <laughs> with that Christmas spirit, we will uh, continue as we have to talk about Borussia Dortmund and probably say the same stuff we've said in the last two, three or five episodes already. But nevertheless, here we go. Borussia Dortmund away on Friday night, a 2-2 draw against TSG Hoffenheim. Last what are the takeaways? I think we should not allow ourselves too many takeaways because the way the the game went and obviously the game I'm, was taken away by the referee. I'm mostly say. referencing the the refereeing decisions, which were absolutely appalling. So everything we say about the game has to be taken with a major grain of salt. Uh, I think we have to give credit to Dortmund for coming back in those circumstances uh, once again from behind. A man down for what was it, 50, 55 minutes and, you know, going into the, or being in the locker room at halftime. Every single one of the players in the Dortmund locker room know they were screwed royally by the referee because I'm sure they were told that the second goal shouldn't have counted and that Marco Reus's suspe not suspension, his sending off was absolute horse shit. So. I guess uh, not only commend them for coming back, but also for mostly keeping the emotions in check and just doing their jobs. And, you know, Hoffenheim could arguably have nicked it at the end. They had a few better chances than Dortmund in the last 20, 15 minutes or so. But I think Dortmund really deserved to get, get one point just for persevering in those circumstances. So even though it was another draw, and we'll talk about another, another draw in the later parts of the show i think this this draw sticks out as more of a positive than the other ones yeah i guess um before we talk about the decisions that were made by the referee um let's talk about 
the first goal that probably was not influenced by the referee, but simply uh, Dortmund's bad defending once again. Uh, Matthias Ginter clashed or collided uh, into Sandra, Sandro Wagner's head just minutes before and then went back on the field and uh, nullified the offside trap. Uh, Lars, had this anything to do with his head being somewhat concussed or just him being him? Well, I was... Uh, actually quite angry with a lot of people uh, on social media, especially Twitter during the game, because everyone kind of assumed that he had to have and have a concussion, which uh, I mean, concussions are the very, very serious issues in, in contact sports in general and, and a bigger issue even in football, because no one seems to take note of it. But uh, to just assume someone who cl had a clash with someone else has a concussion. And that's the reason why he's, not playing too well. I mean, that's a, that's a dangerous slope as well. I think uh, the fact that he played 90 minutes in that game and then turns around and played 90 minutes on Tuesday suggests to me that there was no concussion. He had to receive treatment at some point uh, during the game against Hoffenheim later in the first half, but that's probably just uh, swelling or whatever it was. So I don't think there was a concussion here. I mean, we've seen so often that Dortmund lack intensity defensively and, uh, especially early in the games that the goal was like in the first four minutes or so, if I remember correctly. So it's not super it out of. It was in the second minute to yeah, be what, exact. Whatever it was. It, it wasn't out of the ordinary too much for, for me to think there were any sinister circumstances. It was just another instance of Dortmund's makeshift backline because Socrates was missing, uh, just not being on the same page and you know offside traps are a thing of automatism as you would say i guess so they lack that at the moment defensively they don't have the form uh, the the defenders in the back line who are playing don't really show the form they need to have uh, for Dortmund to play the games they want to and you know sometimes that means you go down by a goal after two minutes and i mean if we want to talk about Ginter having perhaps some problems with his head, we also <laughs> should have uh, should talk about Roman Weidenfeller having problems. Just uh, oh yeah, I think he the, will get a long segment on this show. Yeah, on uh, not with his head, but with his uh, decision making, because I do not know what the hell he was thinking in there. I don't know. I think he thought a, a, a lot of things. You know, he was like, "Oh, there's a chance I should." go out and defend it and then oh i cannot leave the edge of the box this is uh, prohibited so i just stay here and wait for him to round me i guess that those were the thoughts uh constantin i don't know if you saw the game but uh in case you saw the goal uh what was benfeller thinking um i don't know the exact thoughts he had but um, they were very pointless it was more or Defin less empty definitely but yeah that basically set the tone for the game because Borussia Dortmund fell behind for the sixth consecutive time across competition, which is a worrying stat and didn't really improve in the following match against Augsburg. Um, Dortmund, though, you know, picked themselves up, got back into the game, and it was Usman Dembele who uh, dribbled from the right into the box and then just had a quick layover to Mario Götze. Uh, we have to state that Dembele had quite a lucky bounce there for him to pick out the pass, but nevertheless, there was an enormous amount of skill involved as well. And yeah, Götze 
back on the score sheet to equalize and you think everything is nice and well. And then came the 19th minute and Sandro Wagner had it in his fourth set piece goal of the season. So, um, Lars, a lot of talking points there for this goal. Um, I think Wagner himself admitted that it was a foul. Yeah, uh, it was. I mean, we can talk about, I think it was, was it Schmelzer who lost the ball and then, or was there another game? There are so many, you know, that, that was against Cologne, I guess. There are so, I mean, the, the set pieces from the, from the, the, the right wing most often. They've been an issue for Dortmund the entire season. I mean, we saw it against Ingolstadt, against Cologne. And now came, it came off a, of a free kick or a corner this time. I think it was a corner, but I'm not 100% sure anymore, but, uh, uh at any rate, from uh, that direction. Uh, it came from the, from the same angle, uh, as many of those free kicks come. And then, uh, someone lost a, an aerial duel. I don't even remember who it was. Might have been Batra, maybe Ginter. Doesn't really matter. Both suck at the moment. Um, and then, you know, uh, Bender, who made his season debut after injuring his foot at the Rio Olympics, he covered Wagner, made a, a try to get to the ball and I, Presume he would have gotten to it had Wagner not fully extended his arm and pushed him away. I mean, it, it was a slight push. It wasn't egregious. It uh, wasn't a wrestling move or, you know, he didn't try to push him to the ground or anything. It was just, uh, just enough to put him, uh, away from the ball. And then Wagner just got a glance of it and it flipped over Weidenfeller's fingers. It looked really awkward for him, but I, I think <laughs> I, I think we can't really blame him for this one because Wagner was like two meters away from the goal and Weidenfeller couldn't really react to the deflection of his head. But uh, I mean, as you said, Wagner admitted to it being a foul and everyone could see it. And I, I can't for my life understand how the assistant referee didn't see it because there were no players obstructing his view he had perfect he had the the perfect position to see it and that's really what the assistant referee is looking for in this situation after a corner kick he's the one responsible for looking into the 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 six yard uh, box to see if the goalkeeper for example is obstructed or anything so he had the perfect position and the perfect view and he just didn't raise his flag and you know that's the way it goes sometimes for Dortmund I mean we talked about that there bad luck with refereeing decisions in other games and we will have to talk about it again later in this show and that was just one of those instances for them this season yeah i mean we could just continue to the next bad refereeing decision which was uh marco royce being uh, sent off after i think amiri it was who pulled him it was a schmelzer free kick that is that's how it started and schmelzer put the ball into the wall and uh, after that the counter-attack started for Hoffenheim and uh, Amiri was released and Royce was tracking back and uh, yeah, Amiri just pulled Royce so closely to himself that uh, Amiri fell down by contact but, uh, you know, obviously a laughable decision but referee was a Benjamin Brandt, he uh, yeah reached for his back pocket and sent Royce off which uh, obviously is never good for Dortmund because at this point i think royce had already four chances created at, at least according to opta so um you know even though he wasn't too involved in the game he apparently you know 
had had its perks. Um, so Lars, is there anything else we can discuss about this decision or should we just move on because it was a laughable, laughable foul? Well, to be honest, at, at first glance, I thought, uh, it wasn't too bad a decision because Royce really rushed into, uh, the, the counter-attacking situation against Hoffenheim. I, I remember watching it and thinking to myself, uh, slow down there, uh, Marco, you are already on a yellow card and, you know, from the, the viewpoint that the, uh, the, the broadcast offered us, I mean, I, uh, immediately thought, you know, that's not too bad a call, but then you see the, the replay, and I think everybody by now has probably seen the still shot of Amiri pulling Royce and not the other way around, so the, the, we have to expect from the referees, even though their job is really hard, and I don't actually like talking about referees all the time, but it feels like we have to this season more than before. But you have to expect him to see that, and and if not him, then the assistant referee, who it was the same guy, was again in in pretty good position. And I mean, it, I think it happened like six, seven meters in front of his eyes. And you know, if two highly paid referees don't see it, then then so be it. But as Tuchel said in the press conference before the Augsburg match, then the fact that Royce remained suspended for a game, even though everybody could see that. Uh, the the sending off was bogus. I mean, I can understand that the so-called Tatsachenentscheidung, the I don't know how the English translation of that would be. But Ruling on the field. Yes, <laughs> so to say. Uh, I mean, I can appreciate that, but it just doesn't feel right that Royce had to miss uh, one and a half games for something he didn't do. So I can fully understand the disappointment uh, Tuchel showed toward that ruling. Yeah, especially in hindsight, considering well, just one, be. just one thing. Uh, you said everyone would uh, like disagree with the referee's decision, but, um, like the German referee pundits, Colinas Erben, they uh, said that uh, the decision was right. Um, that yeah, and they're full uh, of it sometimes, as uh, you very well know. So they don't count. Well, this, I this mean, sense. just I want, I want to bring on another perspective. We are a Dortmund podcast, and uh, some people might think that I mean. We don't have like, you know, an objective perspective here. Um, so they, they even said that like it's, it's always a little bit tricky to look at the slow motion. Uh, we, um, because like you, you don't really see the impact. Um, like it happened in real time. And also it wasn't about the impact itself. They say it was about, um, the unfair intentions and that always basically stopped a opposing attack on in an unfair way. So maybe that, that's. The booking wasn't that well. I don't know. Just an, just a uh, differing opinion here. All right, but I disagree because it didn't seem like an uh, intention to to fall there of of Royce who, who tried to stay away actually from Amiri and and give him the space, but he was pulled towards him. So what was he supposed to do? Don't rush in. But when you get pulled, still, and you still he was to too fast. Him. No, no chance to like finish this in the ferry. I don't know. I mean, just. Like I think Royce made a mistake there. I don't think maybe it wasn't it wasn't uh, justified booking, but I think the way he approached the whole thing was maybe not not the most the most uh, the smartest way. Yeah, maybe we can agree on that that he could have acted a little bit more cleverly there, staying a bit more off Amory, but then again it was about to defend the counterattack. So um 
yeah, easy for us to debate now, but uh, yeah, it happened. Um, nevertheless, as Lars already said, Dortmund picked themselves up yet again and uh, won the second half, won nothing if you want, uh, against the 11 men being decimated themselves. Um, Lars, before we actually talk about the second half, I wanted to ask you how you see uh, Christian Pulisic as a right wing back. I was kind of surprised to see him uh, in that role for, I think, the first time, at least from the start, uh, because Hoffenheim are one of the tougher opponents on the road for Dortmund. They're really aggressive in their uh, own, I guess you would call it a 3-5-2 system, or however you want to wanna call it. They are, as I said, aggressive. They like to press. They are not very comfortable to play against. They usually don't allow you to play out from the back. I mean, they went into Allianz Arena and uh, won a point through their aggression and the the belief that they can win win a result there. So one of the, the tougher opponents to face on the road for a Dortmund side that's really not in the best run of form. So I was surprised to see him there. And then I, I think he only played there for like 25, 30 minutes and then Tuchel changed it around because didn't really work and then uh, especially after the sending of um, the the tactical plan was sort of thrown out of the the window anyway but I mean I, I don't think uh, Pulisic is in the best form right now I think he's showing some signs of you know a long season for let's remember always a, a young lad who was 17 and a half years uh, no what how old was he when he debuted in February? Yes, he was 17 and a half, wasn't he? So he's yeah. he's still so young. It's a long year for him. Many games, many travel uh, miles for for young body uh, to withstand and recover from. So I guess it's uh, he's excused for not being uh, in the best shape toward the end of the calendar year. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, I think he was also pretty much left alone in, in this game whenever he got the ball it looked like his teammates just sent him with a prayer and you know here's the ball do something with a uh, little support and uh, you know that obviously happens when you have to hug the touchline um he was also more involved in defensive duties uh covering a bit for Ginter and, and Weigel so um that looked kind of good because we know Pulisic is an intelligent player and can position himself well so you know it wasn't the worst idea by Tuchel but ultimately it didn't work out too well and you know in the end in the second half I think the latest Tuchel went for a back four anyway and uh Last you said it in the end, Hoffenheim had the better chances, but overall, uh, not too many. Uh, nevertheless, there was this one situation where Sandro Wagner hit the post and Dortmund more or less scored on the counter attack. Uh, is that goal more or less all Dembele again? Or do we also give cred credit to Mr. Aubameyang for good, good finish? Well, you kind of said it in the question, didn't you? I mean, uh, first of all, they were kind of lucky that uh, Wagner only hit the post. I think Hoffenheim weren't really situated well to cover a potential counterattack in that situation, which probably drives Julian Nagelsmann nuts because they were 2-1 up against 10 men and, you know, to be, uh, be beaten on a counterattack like that in your own home then is something that coaches don't really appreciate from their own team. But, uh, I mean, when, 
Dembele is in the form that he's shown over the last month or so of the season and, and he gets loose on the ball. Sometimes there's just no way to defend that. And that was the case here. I mean, he's so electric uh, when he gets into a, even a little bit of space. Uh, he's now played a few games in the half spaces and terrorized the opponent in pretty much every situation. He gets on the ball in the opponent's half with, you know, like five yards of space in front of him. He's, he's gone. You, you can't do anything about it. And in this case, he made the, the perfect uh, decision as well, which is something we talked about as a, I don't know, as lacking in his play a bit earlier in the year. He's really improved in that regard as well and started it toward. As we also predicted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's too talented not to get better as the season goes on. And, and it's really nice to see. <clears throat> that coming to fruition now and uh, as you said then the the finish from Aubameyang was also really nice uh, we've seen him struggle with one-on-one uh, -on -one finishes at times this season even though his goal scoring record really speaks for itself I think he he himself would say that he could have scored a few more even than than the 16 in the Bundesliga and I think 20 or 21 across competitions so that was really nice finish and you know To, to score in that vein early in the second half was really a good push for Dortmund because had they uh, not scored early in the second half, I think we could have seen them uh, fold against uh, Hoffenheim's pressure if Hoffenheim had pushed for the, the third goal to ice the game themselves. Yeah, definitely. Um, Lasse was also impressed with Mario Götze playing a little bit deeper he was almost on the line with Julian Weigel maybe a little bit ahead like in number eight and um, we've seen it I think against Bayern before in a couple of other games that um, if need be Goethe can do really intelligent things especially defensively uh, in central midfield and especially his ball distribution and, and how how he drags on the ball and and you know just retains possession is is usually a very clever way and you could see that he's actually a very strategic player um i think we saw similar things against augsburg at times um do you think looking forward this could be a position we we might see Götze play more often in i think it was more out of necessity uh in those last two games because uh, Gonzalo Castro, who wasn't even in good form before that, was injured or injured his ribs, I think, against Cologne and then was out for the Hoffenheim match and only played uh, from the bench against Augsburg. And when when they are both on the pitch, uh, Goetze doesn't drop that deep too often. I mean, he does it at times, but uh, it wasn't really the the main part of the game plan like it was against Bayern when I think Constantine also wrote that it that was probably the game when a broader audience realized what uh, people who watched the, his game more closely for years really uh, knew that he was much better defensively than given credit for and that was re apparent again in the last two matches and I think he really put in a good shift of work we we mustn't forget he was injured himself for like four weeks uh, between, and I think most of November he was out or, you know, middle of October, middle of November, somewhere along those lines. So he missed a, a couple of matches at least. And uh, looking at his 
unlucky spell at Bayern. The, the one of the major problems for him there was that he always had this constant stop and go between coming back from injuries, playing a few games, and then re-injuring something. So seeing him on a pretty good level soon after coming back from an injury uh, was quite encouraging. But I do think that they want him to have more of an impact in a more advanced role. So if and when Rafael Guerrero comes back, I think Götze will uh, move a bit further up the pitch again. Yeah, Konstantin, what's your take on that? Götze is just great. No, um, <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, yeah, it's just something. I, I think um, he has been labeled as like this kind of you know offensive weapon, uh, tripler, great agility, uh, great honor ball, and everything like that. But it's it's more than that. And he's he's a great pressing player. He has a, a sense for being in the right position uh, when when defending. Um, he understands mechanisms, um, how chains work, everything. So um, yeah, Götz is just uh, more versatile than a lot of people give him credit for as, as, as last mentioned. And also there was my point uh, early on this season that, um, he could be someone who could play, a um, like a Gundogan role because he is defensively sound and he can like more or less fill the shoes of Gundogan. Um, and it would be, I guess, at least a good role for him. Um, of course the Dortmund at this point, they play a different system, uh, with, mostly f uh, free at the back and then gets us like this uh number eight but also like a like kind of a winger um or, or in the number 10 something in between um but i think even in a 4 three, three, um in the customary Dortmund system which we saw last season and uh also for the most part this season um i think he could be like the guy who fills the Gunduan role at least in, in in some matches um because there, there's there's a whole uh, when you look at the squad, and the, the biggest issue, in my opinion, is that there is not that one player next to Weigel who can, you know, relieve some pressure off of the shoulders of, of Weigel, um, and also who can penetrate and provoke. Yeah, and with that, I think we have our perfect segue to the Augsburg match, because uh, Thomas Tuchel started with Mikkel Merino and Mark Batra as uh, centre-backs, who was the third, I think, Ginter it was? Right, Ginter. So um, that was more or less the setup. And uh, what the plan was, I think, was for Weigel and Schmelzer and whoever to create a little bit of space for the likes of Batra and Merino to run in. Um, Konstantin, you have seen the entire match with your own eyes, live yeah. in the stadium. So uh, as, as I will you. come for you. I will come to you now for the takeaways. Oh, take a race. Um, yeah, I was, I was surprised how, uh, Augsburg played. I think they did fairly well compared to some, uh, uh yeah, a lot of matches under uh, the guidance of, of Schuster, which was just brutal to watch. Um, they figured out, um, how to, yeah, at least at, at, at some points during the match, um, exploit some, some issues of Dortmund, um, especially on, on the left side, I think. The whole Chi Moravec Tiger triangle worked fairly well. Um, and as for Dortmund, uh, as always, or I mean, I, I should say, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say as always, but as usual, um, problems, at least for f the first 30 minutes, uh, problems in the build up play. Really, they struggle to move the ball forward in, in a way where then the, 
they're very talented strikers, offensive players can, can we create something up front? Um, I mean, the, the interactions, the interplay between Dembele, Aubameyang, um, Pulisic, Götze, that was great. Um, but you have to get the ball there in, into the zones where Dembele can, can do his magic. Um, and that was really a, a, an issue before Tuchel adjusted and changed the formation. Um, he, Put Pulisic, uh, on the left side, uh, Ginter was then the right back, 4-3-3 more or less, um, which was really a better option against Augsburg. And also, like Götze at first, he was like the guy who had to cover the left wing more. I mean, Schmelzer was out there, but still, I was, uh, only Schmelzer and Götze had to move to the left, um, frequently and he had to cover the half space and he had to move back. So, so he was positioned too high most of the times during the build-up phase um after the adjustment after the change of formation um he was deeper uh, near marino butter and weigel and then they could create short passing triangles bypass the first pressing line of augsburg and then come down the uh, come down the middle um which was of course more effective um so i don't really know what Toro was thinking prior to the match when he decided to uh, field a back three and gets in this kind of undefined role, half left, left something up there, number 10, number 8, left ringer, whatever. It was, it was just a little bit weird. I think that's, that's one point of criticism um, you can make that maybe uh, sometimes Toro uh, needs to be a little bit more on point and uh especially like in the first 30 minutes Weigel was like this the sole central midfielder there and it was just alone for most of the part and then and then the next thing is like you can say okay you have three defenders behind Weigel so one can push forward but watching the Hoffenheim game and, and the games prior to that that's like a problem for for a lot of uh Dortmund defenders uh, at the moment that they don't really know how to how to leave the position but without really exposing the defense and so yeah Weigel was on his own in the middle um of course the, that and was it like in, in the, uh, the press conference it was quite interesting that that Tuchel mentioned that um they did well during the first 10 maybe 50 minutes um then the whole thing went south um he doesn't really know why which is okay uh, interesting. Um, so he, he doesn't really know why they struggled. Uh, what, what happened? What changed? We, not really anything, but interesting. Um, and then of course he saw something he had to change. Um, nevertheless, um, they conceded the goal in the 33rd minute. So, and then had to come back again for the seventh consecutive time. Um, yeah, it's just, it was one of these matches. And then at the end, I mean, they, they really dominated the second half and had some chances, but, um, I, I don't know. I mean, even Weidenfeller almost made a, a really deadly mistake at the end. So it was just, yeah. All right. Those were the very brief takeaways from Konstantin and now the in-depth analysis from Lars. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding, but, uh, Lars, I think we have to talk about Mark Bartra's first half before we talk about anything else because that was shocking. Oh, that what is? Uh, yeah, uh, it was indeed quite shocking. I mean, uh, I tweeted out that 
I don't know what he's thinking sometimes, but it must be very confusing because at times he leaves his position completely uncovered. Some of the passes he plays, I mean, we saw earlier in the season that that's really his forte and the best part about his game is his built-up play, his ability to chime in with beautiful uh, long passes into the the final third, uh, starting with even the the Super Cup against Bayern. And uh, I don't know whether it was his uh, injury earlier in the season, but at some point it completely fell off for him and he's been really awful for a few weeks now and I think we didn't really realize when he uh, played next to Socrates because uh, Socrates often uh, covers for him and, and, you know, throws water on the fires Batra lights, but uh, Socrates was out and Batra was tasked with being the middleman in the back three, maybe uh, playing there also to give some guidance to uh, Mikel Merino next to him because they speak Spanish and not really German. At least I, th- I think Batra is doing okay in in terms of his German, but you know not not good enough for a a, a Tuesday night game in front of eighty thousand. I think so. Uh, he was quite overwhelmed, quite obviously, with that role in the middle. And I mean, he was responsible mostly for the goal. I would think, even though uh, Ginter also plays a part and a few others, of course. But Batra played that telegraph pass toward Aubameyang. I think uh, it was. Picked up by Martin Hinteregger, a six foot two or so center half who rumbled forward with the ball, which was kind of embarrassing for Dortmund's midfielders who just let it happen without, you know, putting in a professional foul or whatever. And then Merino for a moment seemed to win the ball, but it bounced to Moravec, I believe. And, uh, I don't know again what Batra was thinking. I, I mean, he, decided it was a good idea to try to play someone offside who was like three yards uh, further down the pitch, if you like. I mean, it, there was no way he, got, he was going to play Jidong uh, 1 offside there. So he should should have just tried to cover the, the passing lane and maybe could have forced Moravec into shooting himself or something. But, you know, as I said, Batra probably just not really thinking straight in the moment because his form is completely shot and his substitution at halftime was the easiest call Tuchel has made all season. He was that terrible. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, Mikel Merino looked a bit overwhelmed and a bit nervous in the game, but Batra even more so. Um, Konstantin G then in a one-on-one situation against Weinfeller, Weinfeller gets a little bit on the ball, but uh, it basically just falls perfectly for G2. Fired home, uh, is there any blame you want to pin on the goalkeeper or not this time? No, not this time. I mean, like, Weinfeller, he goes through a rough period now. He was like, uh, ever since he, he had to take on the, the spot in the first 11, um, he made a few mistakes and yeah, I, I don't think that was like, Something we should really, we should like point towards him and say he, he should have, um, saved the ball. No, not really. I mean. Yeah. He had this funny moment very late in the game. Right. Right. Where he just telegraphed the ball to Altin top. Right. That, that's, that's something. Yeah. If, if you talk to, to your goalkeeper after the match, then talk about a situation like that, because that's something, uh, even someone like Weidenfeller, who's in his mid thirties, even he can still learn and, but yeah, the, the whole uh, goal for uh, by Chi, just no, not his fault. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, Dortmund bounced back in the second half. Uh, very briefly after the break, I think it was a 46 minute, and Dembele scored. Now, I think, what was it? Three goals and three, assi three assists in the last six games. Um, last, it was a really nice move. I think it was instigated by Weigel, who passed it to... To Dembele, who passed it to uh, Kagawa, and then basically Dembele ran past Kagawa into the half space and uh, received the ball. Nicely weighed by Kagawa, by the way, and then uh, fired home. Um, why do we see su such situations so seldomly in a game? I feel like this could happen more often with a bit more routine. I mean, that's kind of the million-dollar question, isn't it? Why Why aren't Dortmund always playing up to their attacking potential or their potential in general. I mean, it it looked really great for the few moments when they had Aubameyang, Reus and Dembele as sort of an attracting uh, trident uh, with Reus and Dembele in the half spaces. Like the, the Gladbach match on the whole was like probably the best they've looked attacking-wise all season, but uh, they find it difficult to replicate that at times. And I mean, we... For one, we have to give credit to Augsburg, who uh, I would agree with Konstantin looked really surprisingly good, considering uh, they just sacked their manager and nobody knows uh, the first thing about their caretaker manager. Um, I think uh, actually that was also a part of the problem for Tuchel, and, and you talked about, uh, Konstantin did, about the getting the formation wrong perhaps to start the game. Well, Tuchel said before the game, we have no clue how Augsburg are going to play, so maybe that played a part in that. But uh, coming back to the goal and why we don't see that often enough, I think they just had more space in that situation than they usually have uh, at most times. And, you know, Kagawa uh, played the assist for that goal, which was a nicely weighted pass, as you said, but that was about the only thing he did right on the day. So. When you have players who aren't in the in the best form playing in the pivotal positions on the pitch uh, to create these instances uh, through the middle, then you know you suffer from from that from time to time. I think if they had Guerrero uh, playing the number eight role and Götze playing a more advanced role, they probably would create more chances. But it's not the way it is for them, so they have to live with. You know, the, the, the personnel they have right now. And Kagawa, there's a reason why he's not playing much under Tuchel. Uh, there's, uh, also a reason why someone like Castro, uh, is an often on player for Tuchel. Uh, so, you know, it's just, they're, they're not, uh, playing with their, their best formations by, by force of injury or in this case also suspension from Royce. And that really shows because They really need the the few guys that that are on form and uh, on on any given day to fulfill their potential. Just because there are so many changes they they are forced to make, they lack the uh, as you would say automatisms to. As also Marcel Schmelzer said, by the way, in the mix zone. Yeah, but it's not an English word, even though you're trying your best for now what 167 episodes, but. Uh, Yeah. Nevertheless. It's out there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, may maybe we talk a little bit about what Schmelzer said because he more or less criticized that Dortmund, uh, not get, or that they, they 
simply don't defend counterattacks or, or turnovers well enough. As soon as they lose the ball, it's basically, uh, yeah, always easy street for the opponent. And he, yeah, criticized that there are not enough players getting behind the ball, I guess, or there's not enough structure. Um, I'm pretty sure we will talk this, we'll talk about this in a big, in a, in a bigger picture in the next episode because that will be more or less our season review show and also maybe a look ahead of what has to be fixed throughout the winter but um you know this has been an ongoing problem now for i don't know how many months and um i wanted to pitch this question to you constantine um Thomas Tuchel has really held on to his possession based style and he is taking a lot of risks with that often times uh was it clever of him to to keep those risks let's say in, in the long term or do you think he, he should have had a more pragmatic apo- approach and uh just uh, showed up the defense on the let's say expense of offensive potential um i i, I don't fully get your point to be honest because like what's the alternative to the current system just being more defensive with, with, just uh, play Rode and Castro in front of a back five. I don't know. Yeah, sure. In front of a back five with uh, Bartra, Piszczek, and Socrates. Like, your 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 typical deep-sitting defenders who can, you know, keep keep the opponents at bay for 90 minutes. Oh, no. They can't. They they can't. They just... They are... Offen- especially at Bartra, Marino, Piszczek. Um, and also like the, the, the wingbacks, uh, fullbacks, they're quote unquote offensive defenders, especially somewhere like you, you don't sign Mark Bartra as, uh, and, and think or consider him as a, um, very important part of your team of your starting 11 and then play really defensive. That's like, it's, it's just then, then sign so- someone else. Sign, <laughs> really sign, Ma- so sign Martin, then, Martin Hinteregger, who maybe have, has two left feet but yeah uh no no uh seriously um i think i mean there are there are two reasons to play like a position-based style first you're just really confident i want to dominate control the match because you are that good and uh you have the, the weapons or you're not that good but you want to control the game um that's like the two reasons and i think uh in our case uh it's 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 a good reason um and dortmund should be a position-based team um and as i said if you like switch um to a more defensive style and then i know wait for your opponents to come at you that would wouldn't really work out for dortmund and um that the, do you, you have like 10 players or so who wouldn't fit the system um who are more comfortable in a position-based really attacking style so I don't know. There's, there's no alternative and, and, but the thing is counter pressing is just a really important part of position based football. Um, so you have to, um, fix that and you have just to be more intense when defending. And that's just, I can, I can just repeat myself. We have talked about it, um, for several times. Dortmund, when it comes to defending, they have an intensity problem this season, at least. So yeah, there's the answer. Right. Better the, freaking counter pressing already um which probably has been you know atrocious considering or comparing it with a side like leipzig although that's that's a little bit unfair maybe because they have a completely different approach to the game um Lars, is there anything you want to talk about from from this game 
minus the contract extension of Julian Weigel, to which we will come later. Yeah, I think <clears throat> we have to talk about the referee again. Uh, as I said, I don't Ugh. actually like it, but Dortmund were once again uh, denied one blatant penalty, which was actually quite hilarious. And, and I would call it a veteran move of uh, Paul Verhaag, uh, Augsburg's captain and right back and one of the most underappreciated players in the Bundesliga, if I may say so. Uh, he fell Kagawa in the uh, penalty box. It was around the, the 60th minute or so, I think. Uh, of a set piece and it was a weird situation. He didn't really need to do it, but he did it. So he tripped him. Uh, Kagawa fell and then the referee was, uh, in, in good position with play on. I don't know if he didn't see it correctly or if he thought Kagawa made too much out of it or whatever, but Fahak then, then stood over Kagawa. Uh, remember after clearly fouling him as every replay showed and, and, and shouted at his face. And then even a minute later when he committed another foul, I think, uh, came up to the referee and, and asked him why he didn't book uh, Kagawa for a dive. So <laughs> that was both uh, expertly done as a veteran move, as I said, uh, and a bit of a dick move as well, because he clearly fouled him and he should have counted his blessings that he got away with uh, a really unnecessary, stupid challenge uh, when there was no imminent danger on his goal. So, But um, the, the problem for me is that it was the, the fourth... Uh, penalty, blatant penalty they were denied in, in the last few Bundesliga matches. I mean, they had, should have had one against Frankfurt. Uh, they should have had two against Cologne and now this. I mean, then they had the sending off for Reus and the goal that shouldn't have counted. I mean, if you add all those things up and uh, as you said, we we'll, we will look at the first half of the season in another episode but if you count all those things up you have to really think that Dortmund are quite fortunate to be in a position where they are in the table. I mean, they could easily be like eight, nine points behind third place and really look at at a season that is already, you know, broken for them. So they are quite fortunate to be in a fairly good position with third place still in their side. But uh, if some of those refereeing calls went their way, I think we wouldn't I mean, we would probably still talk about their performances being not where they need to be, but the the public perception of their season and and also the the partly laughable uh, criticism toward Tuchel would be talked about in a much different light if they got you know two of those penalties and they win both games and then they have four points uh, more than they do now and then they are in third place, I think, and people wouldn't be talking about. Dortmund having this big crisis or whatever it is, so I think we we always have to take that into account. And they were once again screwed out of uh, out of you know what what should have been the correct uh, decision by a referee. And I think we have to reference that. Yeah, definitely, that's what we are here for. But I think it it's also fair to assess that Dortmund uh, arguably could have comfortably won the game themselves. Just by the amount of chances Kagawa and Aubameyang misfired. Um, I remember a really nice half volley by Aubameyang that was uh, very central on hits. Obviously not easy to control. But um, there were a couple of occasions where Dortmund could have nicked the game in, in their favor and turned it around yet again. Um, Konstantin, you know, that, that, was a, that was an entertaining game overall though. Um, and I still want to talk about Merino in this game because uh he was entertaining as well half, 
Yeah, in, yeah, in 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 uh, in the many ways. In the second half, he had a couple of good forward runs. Do you want to elaborate on that? I'm sure there's something we should keep an eye on uh, because I think he is one of his weapons. Um, coming from a midfield position, um, he played um at Osasuna, um. Just, I, I, I liked, I liked, uh, the whole role he had in the second half because, um, as, as we talked about it, uh, they changed the system. Um, the midfield was on, on the one hand more compact, but on the other hand was, um, more sophisticated how they worked in midfield and how uh, the center backs worked, um, or collaborated with the midfielders. And so Götze, and also Schmelzer really helped him to open the half space and then he could move forward. Um, Schmelzer, who was man-marked by Schmid all the time, he just, you know, he, um, lured Schmid to, to the, to the side, to, um, to the sideline or to the back and then uh, Marino had space to come forward and he's really good at it. And I think, I mean, he has a, his, his match, his match was so-so because of uh, a few mistakes he made. Um, but, his attacking actions, yeah, was was quite interesting, and it could be something um, you should use uh, against a lot of teams. It's the same that what Mats Hummels does all the time. Um, there's like a stalemate, um, um, a defender who moves forward and surprises the defense. It's really a weapon against, as I said, against a lot of teams, especially deep sitting teams, or especially in, in in like stalemates where you really don't know how to break through the opposing defense, then something like that can really help because uh, defensive formations are usually set up in a way that you can uh, defend passes and you can def uh, def uh, defend uh, opponents in a man-orientated defending defending scheme. Um, but once by a centre-back? No, not really. Yeah, I, I'm really intrigued if we will see more of that in the second half of the season. I mean, there were rumours spiralling up that Merino would go back to Osasuna. Um, during the winter break, but I think those have died down. And uh, in this particular game, we could see why Marino didn't play too many games, but we could also see why he was signed. And the idea behind this position was actually yeah quite refreshing. And I think it uh, also ref referenced more or less what Luca wrote in uh, his article. Dortmund, we have a problem where he just said that you know there needs to be another creative outlet next to Weigel, and so if it's not a, a midfielder, it m has to be more or less a center back. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting idea. And, uh, if Dortmund can get a little bit more stability into it, that, uh, you know, whenever there's a center back that, that moves forward, that someone, yeah, backs him up more or less, then, then this could be a very, uh, intriguing strategy, especially if Marino runs forward. And then it could be, for example, Dembele who picks the ball up from him and then, dribbles and that could cause a lot of havoc because uh yeah opponents have to adjust vertically and that is never really easy and could potentially open a, a lot of gaps so yeah that was very interesting um so yeah with that said Lars how important is the contract extension of Julian Weigel to 20 2021 well first of all I'm Disappointed that you asked Constantine about Don Mikel Merino and not me, because I'm basically his only fan in the world. So that that hurts, <laughs> Stefan. That really hurts. Yeah, well, I'm I'm sorry, but you weren't there to see it with your own 
ice in the flesh. Yeah, so. Rub salt in it, would you? Uh, as for Weigel, uh, obviously it's huge news. It doesn't really come as a surprise to anyone because we heard the reports from like September on that they were talking about it and expecting uh, something to be announced in the fall. And I guess since winter only officially starts uh, on December 21st, they, they, they still beat that deadline, if you like. But we kind of expected the news to come down a bit earlier, but it doesn't really matter. I think everyone knew that uh, Weigel would extend his contract and uh, that he wasn't going to leave the club anytime soon, regardless of this move, but uh, it's obviously huge news for Dortmund still that they can ink arguably their, their most important squad player uh, just in terms of his position and the way that as we've often talked about, he's really the only guy who's consistent in the build-up phase for them at the moment uh, to, to keep him at the club for as long as possible is uh, among the most important things they can take care of and they did with with this extension um so i think they now have a, a good young core uh, signed up uh, for you know the next 5 years or so i mean most of the new signings you know dembele more merino uh, now weigel all have contracts until 2021 uh, obameyang 2020 royce 2019 i don't think there's one hugely important player who has a deal coming up in the summer. It's only Weidenfeller in 2018. I think uh, Lukas Piszczek is the only regular starter with a contract running out. And I think we can kind of expect Piszczek to move into more of a backup role relatively soon with Paslak uh, emerging this season, even though he's not being used at the moment, which I find quite peculiar. But uh, as I said, the, it's really important to have the, the young core of the team signed up for the long term because we saw in the summer uh, and, and really the last few months subsequently how it can be a problem when too many of the, the best players on your team have contracts running out uh, at the same time, uh, which is why they had to let go of especially Gundogan and Mikitarian. I think they, Hummels, they would have kept uh, kept him even until the end of the contract if he hadn't uh, had the the wish to leave for Munich. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, not really surprising, but still huge news for Dortmund. Yeah, definitely. Uh, gives Dortmund probably a little bit more rest in uh, their possession-based philosophy because I don't know how easy it would be for them to replace Weigel if he were to leave in, let, let's say, two seasons. Obviously, it can still happen. You never know how crazy clubs are to spend money on him, but, uh, you know, I think he is morphing into one of the faces of the quote unquote new Borussia. And, uh, the way he talks in interviews, it's, you know, he's, he's mature beyond his years. Obviously, I mean, we cannot forget he's only just 21 and, uh, always so, yeah. So in the moment that he always has a good explanation after the game for what went wrong and while other players just throw around with uh, phrases, Weigel actually can tell you what went wrong and, and, you know, what could, could have been done better. So that's very refreshing. Um, if, if, if yeah. can I, uh, sure. I, I just read the breaking news, uh, which won't be breaking anymore when you've edited this episode and people are listening to it, but. 
nevertheless built are reporting that the Irma Toprak deal is now official, more or less at least, and that he is going to join in the summer for the release clause uh, valued at 12 million euros. So that's that. All right. Uh, I think we've talked about Toprak so many times already, but Konstantin, since uh, you haven't said anything in quite a while, there you go. So Ümer Toprak, he's a centre-back from Bayer Leverkusen. Um, Thank you. I, I, I don't really know about the thing going down now um, for the next summer. Um, I'm not so sure. And I don't really like timing, to be honest. You know, six months uh, prior to the fact... We will see. Um, also, like when you look or when you see that Byron, uh, they tried to sign uh, Schuler as a backup for that defense. Of course, like the defenders, they're getting old. They are in the, the late twenties and they have to sign someone for the future. But still, like they want to sign Niklas Schuler for as a backup. Where is Dortmund at? They're at Top Rock, hmm. I guess. Why are you not right. happy with Top Rock coming? No, to sure, yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's Okay, I just I just don't like the timing to be, uh, to be completely honest. It's just something I, I never would would sign someone now for the next summer because you don't know what what will happen with the player. You don't know if there is another center bank uh, that suddenly get, is available, but then you have already signed someone. So yeah, yeah but but you signed someone with proven Bundesliga quality for what? amounts to backup money these days in 12 million euros. So That's right. It, it, this move doesn't preclude them from making another splash signing if Niklas Süle uh, wakes up one morning and thinks, hey, I don't want to go to Bayern. I want to play for uh, a smaller club in Dortmund and develop as a starter. I mean, that's that's still very much possible. And uh, the thing with Toprak is, I mean, I read so often that people don't want him. Uh, I mean, I guess it's age bias because he's already 27 and he looks a bit older uh, still. But I mean, as a center half, your prime years are probably somewhere between 27 and 31 or so. So getting proven Bundesliga quality, someone with leadership abilities, even though he's not playing the the, the best of seasons for Leverkusen, but no one at that club is. Uh, I mean, that's really a no-brainer to me. And I would obviously have preferred uh, them signing him in the summer already because uh, we could see these centre-back problems they are having now and have had for the last two months or so of the, the first half of the season coming. And we talked about them before, but still a good move to... Uh, seal this now if it's really done and dusted. Yeah, also I'm not sure when the uh, release clause would have evaporated. Maybe you just have to trigger it, it now to make sure uh, you know you get him for the 12 million. I'm not 100% sure how, how the details look in the contract of Ömer Toprak, but uh, that might be also a reason and uh, if I remember correctly Dortmund did the same with Marco Reus back then and uh, you know that worked out okay, but you know, shouldn't be a comparison, just, you know, an observation. So I guess with that, we can end this show and we will be back in 2017 with a review of the Hinrunde, which isn't actually over yet because someone still play against Bremen, but nevertheless, um, we will look back. And for that, I thought we will have uh, our awards categories. And I want to ask you, dear listeners, uh, to send us the categories 
I don't know, just go crazy or not with them. We will just pick them and then, you know, nominate our players or whatever you want from us. So uh, that should be fun, hopefully. Um, in the meantime, Lars and Konstantin, I had a lot of fun doing podcasts throughout 2016. I don't know how many hours of podcasting it was and how many hours of twice as much editing it was, but nevertheless, it was a lot of fun. So thank you for uh, sticking around and uh, being part of this awesome show. And uh, yeah, that would be all now. Over to you, Konstantin, where you can tell our listeners where they can find you and your work on the internet. Yeah, they can find me on Twitter, uh, cc underscore e-c-k-n-e-r. And normally, you know, spiefelagerung.de for the German listeners and spiefelagerung.com for all the other listeners, including the Germans. <laughs> well, Lars? Yeah, uh, people can find me on Twitter at Lars Polman, read my written work for bleacherreport.com and say it with me, Stefan, on occasion for the Yellow Wall Pod and before... Uh, you get to say something again. We want to thank you for all the hard work you're putting in. I mean, we can't really appreciate, I guess, how much work it really is to edit the show when Constantine and I, uh, we both are rambling on and on and on and make so many stupid mistakes you have to edit out that people never really learn of. So thanks again for, for doing all the hard work. We are just uh, doing the luxury bits. Ah, thank you, but I'm really just editing out my own mistakes and leave you there looking stupid. That's that's how it goes in this show. So it's been revealed. No, honestly, yeah, it's a lot of work, but on the other hand, I really enjoy doing it. So uh, there you are. And so, of course, thank you to all the listeners. I think 2016 was the biggest year for us yet. We are now average, averaging around 6,000 listeners, which is quite amazing for an English language niche podcast run by mostly Germans. So yeah, thanks for listening, and I hope you will. Uh, <laughs> we, we we are a niche up, podcast a or a niche podcast <laughs> for for our <laughs> American <know>. listeners. <laughs> Whatever. Constantine uh, <laughs> is sitting in his nook. <laughs> um, no, right. Anywho, you just fumbled time. it. I did, I did. But uh, you know that's the great yellow pot tradition, and uh, now it's time to, for the outro. You can obviously find me at Stefan Butzko. On Twitter, you can find my written work on ESPNFC and obviously also on occasion on yellowwallpot.com. And this is also where you can find the show. And uh, if you haven't done it via our homepage, you can do that too via uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud and iTunes. So with that, it was goodbye. Have a happy holidays and a happy new year. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>